So good evening, Doctor Esteban. I'm yes. And my co-host. How are you, Doctor Esteban? I'm fine. You How are you? So good tonight. Why is in that? In your Carolina shirt and your blue yes, jeans. Yes, garnet. Your blue jeans. Garnet babies. color. Yeah. Sure. In this rainy good. night. You're looking good. Well, thank you very much. Thank so you. are you. Thank you. I yes. said I thanked you before. Yeah. You said it because I knew it. I shaved before. I came in. Wow. Joe, yeah. Joe Riccatelli, RCA, this is my RCA shave. Look. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. If it was somebody from Sony, I wouldn't have shaved, but I know but RCA, RCA, I appreciate that. Ah. That's the, the recording uh, company of America. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they expect, and that's what they want. So we're here. Yes. So we do have Joe Riccatelli here, who is the co-president mm-hmm. of RCA Records. And you're Joe Riccatelli! Yo! Yo! And when did Joe visit us last? Almost exactly four years ago. Okay. I uh, listened to our podcast from yeah. 2015. Okay. And uh, I was telling Marconi, the week after we had somebody from CSAT, and the day she was on was the day the Mets clinched the NLCS against the Cubs. <laughs> and so uh, and they, were, they were like hitting Grand Slams, Lucas Duda, they had a good yeah. play baseball. Yankee fan, man. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was like a grand, all this great stuff going on in the other room. Yeah. We were stuck talking to somebody about the music. I know, I hate when that What's happens. deal with that? Uh, yeah, so Mr. Marconi is very sleepy right now. Yeah, good job, good job. So, Dr. Stavon, you have a good night? You happy? Baseball. You have Yes, of course. And why does Joe visit us so often? Because Joe is an alum. Ah, I am an alum, way. yep. And he wants to certainly, we give him credit for being a friend of our program and actually helps us get brownie points because Billboard has designated us. They were smart. One this of the sta- best this places school, to study. This station deserved to be part of the program. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, that's great. Yes. Sure. Yeah, because we, we, we'll thank Joe. Give him class. No, no problem. Yes. No, we thanked him very much because uh, we've been ranked two years in a row yes. by Billboard Magazine. It's one of the best music. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, so three out of five or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah three to last five years. So that's good. So let's and it's more competitive now than ever before. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. see more schools are getting oh, yeah. involved with master's degrees programs. Absolutely. I know Ithaca's developing one. Yes, as they speak. are. Oh, they're developing a master's. Program. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yep. uh, 
I think it has going to include theater arts, too, if I'm not mistaken. I read a lot about it. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the theater arts part. It may, but I've been helping them. My son just graduated from Ithaca, so I've right. been helping them a little bit as well. I think it's super important that I, we talked about paying it forward earlier, that doing things like yeah. this for educational programs like William Patterson or Ithaca or Syracuse, uh, sure. any one of them is super important to do. I almost yeah. went to Ithaca. It was between Ithaca and William Patterson. There you go. I came here because of the fella on your right, mm-hmm. on our listeners. It's his left. But oh. I, I followed him from Syracuse. I actually went with my dad up to Syracuse because yeah. we heard about this guy, Marconi. True story, Maddie Dean. Co-host, Maddie Dean. Thank you. Yes. I actually went to Syracuse because we had an old catalog that said Marconi. We go up there. We go into an office, and they said, oh, he's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. He's back in Jersey, half an hour from where you live. So we drove four hours in the snow for <laughs> Yeah, and here he is. He's uh, right. right here. So for now, let's yeah. call it Brand X. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, Brand X. Brand X. So speaking of Brand X, we should talk uh, and give a little thanks, Dr. Stabon. Sure. We should, uh, first of all, thanks to Tim Geisen for our theme song. We want to also give thanks to Van Dyne Bruno Inc. in White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews. Rod, Rod, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominee this year. There we go. That Thanks was to... something we worked on for two years, actually. Really? Great. Oh, yeah, that's competitive. Yeah, oh, yeah. Competitive. Yeah, we had uh, Cindy De Silva, who manages the Zombies, sure. was on campus because the Zombies got in last year. Right. And she actually was working with the, one of our classes to try and get their help to get the Zombies over the hump yeah. to get to the Rock and Roll And it's Hall not so much the actual voting process. There's, I'm a voter for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It's sure. the actual nomination process getting yeah. in there. So this year there's 16 nominees. Political. So it's pretty, pretty big. It is a little bit, yeah. So it takes work. They're incredible nominees. I mean, incredible Whitney, nominees. Whitney Houston is in there. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Biggie. Yes. Yes. And uh, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. And yeah. um, it's interesting. So, okay. Uh, as you mentioned, readers down, say if it's a kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go do VB. Hyphen. CPA.com when you're ready. We also should give, should give thanks to Christine. Oi. They Wealth. No, Bay, <laughs> Wealth Manager and President of Oy. Bay Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals at the University of William, William Patterson manage our investments, plan after retirement. If you're looking for some guys on how to plan after your retirement, if you have questions on anything about investment for home management, insurance, retirement, give Christine a call at Joe. Please re- repeat after me, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1,510. 1,510. Of course, that's it. Okay. 1510, baby. Of course, anybody could email her, Christine at Oy. theywealth.com for advisement. Leave the last oil off for saving. That's right. Make sure you're following <laughs> us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook at MusicBiz101WP. I'm on the TikTok now. We're going to talk TikTok oh, later, yeah. Joseph, mm-hmm. at Professor David Kirk Philp. The podcast, which many of you are going to hear probably many thousands of times, iTunes, the Spotify, the, the, the SoundCloud. And go to MusicBiz101WP.com. Sign up for that newsletter. May Junior Band 6th yes. edition has been out. Yes, it has. Just know that it's there on Amazon. Just know that it's there. Right. Don't do anything that it's there, but just know that it's there. We talked about how great our this is year 5.5. I actually wow. gave it to my son. My son started managing bands up at Ithaca. I gave the book to my, oh, to my okay. son. The most recent edition? Yeah, the one that you sent me. It was Brown a, a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. What do you say about it? Uh, he used it. I'm like, really? you should yeah. go through some of these things. There's some things that I'm not as well-versed in, like looking at some of these royalties, uh-huh. learning how you really work it with it as a manager. So it came in handy to him. Great. That's great, yeah. Right. There's if, a, if, you, if he uh, wants me to right sign there. it for him, there you go. It, it'll raise the value of it when he resells it <laughs> very soon. We have a panel coming up here on campus on yes, Monday. We do. 1021, the 21st of Rocktober, Dr. Stable. Fifth annual? I believe it's numerous cinco. Yes. It could be four or five. We have some great people. Kate Hyman of BMG. Our 
visiting, visiting resident, resident music ex- industry expert yes, this year. Yes, she's going to be here. Amanda Kashinsky of Sony, mm-hmm. uh, who's in the same building as yes, Joe she is. in royalties, uh, got her MBA here in yeah, music fantastic. industry. Fantastic. Uh, Vicky Starr of a company called Girly Action. She does... Uh, PR. Oh, you know her. Uh-huh. Joe knows everybody. Joe knows. <laughs> Cindy De Silva, who I mentioned earlier. Yes. Zombies Made. Do yes. you know Cindy? I don't know Cindy, but I know who she is. Oh, okay. Know very Kate. good. Okay, very good. And uh, we also have um, gr- uh, people from Universal, Warner Music Group, and Cobalt, who will also be here. So this is a very cool panel right. because we have cool. a panel. We record it for the radio show. Then everybody on the panel and three other people from the industry go and they sit at tables and the, the panelists and all the professionals, they yeah. rotate from table to table. Love that. I think we talked about that once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should uh, we'll get we'll you it. on. We'll, yep. we'll, Next uh, time. You'll get paid 300 schnickels for it. Wow. I'll donate it back to the station. There we go. Sure. It's the only way we're going to get any money out of you. <laughs> giving it to you. So, no, seriously, we would like a million dollars from you. Okay, so with that in mind, uh, Maddie Dean, let's one more big thanks for Maddie Dean. Yes. Gonna, Thank you. Maddie. I've Just, been here for three weeks. They haven't let me out. Someone else. It's her third week in a row. Tweet your questions. What we have Tweet many questions. questions yes, in. yes send, your, send your tweets. We have that, and then we have uh, Ashley Veltner, who is our German engineer, a product mm-hmm. of German engineering, over here. Very good to have you. And so now it is time for us. It's only been eight minutes, so now it is time for us to begin Very the begin. And why don't you give Joe the third degree and really oh, put him on the hot sure. seat and really upset him and make him yes. sweat? Boy. Give it to him. <laughs> so Joe, from this room, were you a DJ here? I was a DJ here. I was right. a DJ on a couple different shifts. I did uh, Thursday afternoons, and I did um, Thursday nights, which was the big night at the time here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I did that for my sophomore, junior, senior year. The station, as we were talking about earlier, was on the other side. I'm pretty sure it was on the other side of the building. Ah, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like when you walk in, you walk up the steps. Here. Yeah, so that was uh, 1982, 83, 84, right in that era. Before my time. Yes, yeah, and uh, the station was trying to get their FM license at the time. Yeah. They didn't have the FM license. Uh-huh. I lived in a battle with Ramapo High School. Um, so uh, that went on, but but uh, we were talking about um, Alan Szymanski, who was our GM at the time. He ended up going into Cleveland doing news radio there, mm-hmm. and um, we had we had he had brought Ron Delsner into the area because the rec center just opened up and they were looking to put concerts yeah. into the rec center. So that's kind of what was going on at that moment. Right, right. So you went from there or here to co-president of RCA Records. About 35 years later. <laughs> it just you, took a short amount of time. Oh, you, was ever, it, you didn't get that job right, no, out, of, right out of school. No, no, did you ever think in your wildest dream, or was it actually something you were striving for? I just always wanted to be the best I could be in whatever I was doing at that moment, and that was kind of the way that led me down that path. Mm-hmm. And um, at a certain point, I'd be like, it would be pretty cool if I could kind of ascend that ladder, especially mm-hmm. breaking out a promotion and doing a little bit more, having a little bit more of a wider base. Right. Um, so that was important. And, um, yeah, I've been very blessed. I've had amazing artists over the years that have done extremely well and, and a great team around me. And, um you know, that's the way we approach it every day. The business is obviously a lot different. Even mm-hmm. from when I started doing classes with you, sure. probably 10 years ago, the business has changed dramatically. Yeah, so, dramatically. Um, yeah, it's been a great, great run. So well, even, I, even since he was on, it's changed it's dramatically. It's incredible, right? Because oh, again, listening to that podcast now. back. and The things that we were talking about four years ago are just yeah. not as relevant as the things that are happening now in the music business. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So co-president, are there any other labels with co-presidents? 
Um, there have been before. I know that for a fact. At this moment in time, nothing that I can really think of. I think for us, it just made a lot of sense. We have a pretty big roster at our company, and John mm-hmm. Fleckenstein, who's my partner, and I, we kind of do different jobs. Uh, I'm a little bit more of an external, outwardly facing, really work on focusing on breaking the record still, uh, whatever the platform is. Um, and John really works in inside with Sony and with Peter Edge, our chairman, mm-hmm. uh, closely with him. And um, it's it's been a great relationship. I've known John for a long time, and I feel like the company has really kind of come together. We had a little bit of a transition two years ago when Tom Corson left to go over to right. Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. so a kind of a retool opportunity for RCA in general. Mm-hmm. And um, I just really like where we are and how things are going. So you do marketing and promotion yeah john oversees the marketing side of things but Uh, i actually oversee promotion but part of the role is kind of being the guy that's the outward face or the guy that's the face of the label when it comes to the different platforms and um work closely with multiple ones yeah oh that's great yeah so you 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 it it sounds like it isn't clearly separated but you guys yeah i know how to just yeah, I, I I think being rigid today is a little bit more difficult, and I think having, um, especially because of the I've been in the business for as long as I have, and some of my relationships might be in places that John may not have them, and vice versa. And um, if I have an opportunity to to kind of get in there and help a situation out, whether it's we're working on pitching the AMAs or whether we're working on launching a project with the DSPs or anything that looks to break mm-hmm. a record mm-hmm. or even help closing a deal on a new artist, you know, right. I'll be involved with it. Sure. What would you, if you're going to think about this, what would be the two biggest challenges as a president of a major label today? Um, The two biggest challenges I think facing us are probably knowing that at some point in the next three to five years we'll be facing some saturation when it comes to the uh, platforms and the services, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that the United States is just under 50% right now in activations, which is a great number. Um, So that would be something that you want to be thinking about down the road because it's Mm -hmm. kind of really the the heyday for the music business right now is is coming from the activations on on the uh, DSPs, on the the digital service providers. Um, Can you kind of, for those who kind of don't get what you're talking about in terms of saturation of the platform, so you're saying they're, we're going to need some. Uh, we, the the main ones we'll, we'll say are Amazon, uh, well, Apple it's Music, really Spotify. and Spotify. Right, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, all four of them are in that category. Right. There's some smaller ones, but those are the four majors. And if you look at the United States, the United States is running just under fifty percent at this point as a country with that with the DSPs and activation and the labels make most of their money. The music business makes most of their money, not just from the streaming numbers, but from the activation of the services. So if somebody converts from being a, just a basic to a premium, the, the labels share in that money. And that's kind of where the that subscription comes from. subscriptions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the U S UK, Scandinavia, those are a little bit further along in the actual scheme of um, the activation numbers or percentages are higher. There's a, pretty big world out there. This, uh, South America is just really starting to get going. We talked a little bit about Asia out there in the hallway. Mm-hmm. That's really just starting to get going. So um, some of the European territories are really starting to get going. So uh, a challenge would be making sure that we continue to find a way to grow after that period of, of three to five years, probably when the activation numbers will be a higher percentage. Um, and what would be the other challenge? I think something that every media faces, um, which is fragmentation. 
Mm -hmm. And um, you can look at the numbers. I mean, I know the box office numbers are going to be up this year, but some of that is because of ticket prices being up. And then um, you obviously can see um, the only thing I think that's grown in television ratings so far this year is the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you look at that, that's probably the only thing that's growing. Um, Cable has its challenges. Um, You can see also with the uh, subscription services there, too, whether it's Amazon Prime or Netflix. You know, they also have challenges as well, but they become a formidable competitor and they take time away from everything else. The good Mm -hmm. thing is, is that for the music business, music time spent listening on the phone over the last two or three years has gone from about two and a half hours a day to four hours a day because people are listening to music more on their phones than ever before. Right. So for us, that's a win. Right. so I guess those would be kind of the challenges right. that we're facing is fragmentation in, in the future. Yeah, we had a, a guy, Duke Badger, from a Warner Music Group who was on last year, and he was talking about um, one thing that you guys think about, you know, from a label perspective, is share of time with the listener. 24 hours a day, how much time can we carve out from their day to listen to music? And obviously listen to our music, but to listen to music. Sure. And mm-hmm. my concern from a music perspective is when you talk about um, so many platforms. The streaming is going crazy right now because it's going to be the new Disney platform. Yeah. Um, there's another AT&T platform which they bought Warner. So there's sort of like a Warner Media. Right. I think they're calling it. Um, we still have Hula. Would you say Apple TV is spending a billion dollars? Yeah. Uh, YouTube is getting more. So you have that many more um, video streaming. Right. Channels. Right. Split the time. Yeah. 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 yeah when you're talking about, it, it's a good point because you're talking about music and the music business and you're talking about just competing with each other but remember this basically especially in terms of watching is a leisure time activity so you now you're doing with sports going out and playing with your dog um playing sports looking at sports all of that is part of the leisure time activities that the world has not only american so it's it's interesting because every time um i talk to people because you hear about a new streaming service almost every day. You hear another one, another one, and they say, well, we're only at 35 40% saturation. And I'm saying, geez, I, I understand that. But there's so many, and they're not doing very well at all because people are still gravitating towards the big three and four, like we, like we said. So I, I don't... I think you, you're right. I think you hit on something that's extremely important. They ju- I just read where in... Australia and New Zealand, the rate of growth for streaming is going down. That's another country. The rate of growth, not the amount of streamers. That's going up, but the rate of growth is going down. Australia, New Zealand is another country or part of the world where it is becoming more saturated. I think really what also suffers, and we're sitting here in an FM radio studio, that FM suffers. Terrestrial radio is struggling. Satellite radio is struggling. Tremendously. Pandora coming yeah. in to help them uh, on right. the XM Sirius side really makes a big difference for, for them. And um, Pandora is probably the most listened to out of any of them, it but is. it's also not on demand. Right. So it's, you know, you you kind of set what you want. You pick Tom Petty and all songs on the algorithm that kind of come up like Tom Petty, or you pick Biggie, all the songs that kind of come up on the hip-hop world come up that way, but it's not actually on-demand streaming. But they have an on-demand subscription service that I guess nobody uses. They haven't yeah. been able to really get it right. That's, right. That's yeah, everybody says Pandora Radio. Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, SoundCloud has one, which, you yeah. know, is, is again... That's what I'm saying. Is, I'm and saying YouTube. Guys, well, what about, about the YouTube subscription? Well, YouTube subscription, another one that's also kind of struggled in trying to get yeah. it actually yeah. right. So YouTube is the biggest platform in the world. 
okay, the biggest platform right. in the world. In South America, um, they use the YouTube playlisting or YouTube music. They will put on YouTube but just reduce it down so you're not actually looking at videos, but you are kind of just hearing the music and hearing the playlist come mm-hmm. up. Uh, anything in the Latin world musically, you'll see their numbers are usually through the roof. So uh, Ozuna, Maluma, Becky G, mm-hmm. um, any one of those artists that fall into that category, they do very, very well there. Um, so each platform kind of has its own speciality. So we're talking about Amazon. Amazon really does well with Middle America when it comes to music. Country is kind of where they do most of their business, and you can probably see over the last two or three years where country streaming numbers were relatively low compared to pop or yes. hip-hop or the other formats. Country has risen thanks to Amazon, so I think that they found their platform that really works well for them. Apple Music really does well with hip-hop. That's kind of where when we're putting out a hip-hop record, we'll see our Apple numbers be 40% higher than Spotify's. Mm. Uh, Spotify more in the kind of pop world, I guess, more than anything else. Mm. And, and it's all about brands. Like Spotify mm. is such a big brand. Amazon is such a big brand. Apple Music is such a big brand. Outside of America, Apple's not as big of a brand because Android is really one of the, the phones of choice outside of the U.S., so mm. it becomes a little bit less important. But you can kind of see where, where SoundCloud doesn't really have a brand. Like kids know what SoundCloud is, and but adults really don't. So 25 mm-hmm. to 34s, 25 to 54s, they don't really follow SoundCloud. So SoundCloud's numbers are never going to be quite where um, these other platforms mm. are. Yeah. yeah. The time is fractured, that's for sure. And what's after streaming? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how, always think about how that, small yeah. can we go? How invisible can we go? Right. Uh, it's really it's be interesting. I know what we talked about. We saw it, uh, I guess, in Billboard a couple of weeks ago. There's now a three-inch vinyl record with a player hmm. that you plug in to an amp and so on and so forth. And they think that it might be a Christmas sort of gift this year a novelty wow. yeah but you're gonna have to get all these three inch yeah i don't yeah. think rca making any of them no <laughs> no we're not doing that i mean we are blessed because we sony is in the electronics business and i think it's important for an electronics company to have content um we've talked about that mm-hmm. less many times that's one of the things that they want to be in the content business which yeah is that's for... why when the merger came down a few yeah. years ago it made sense yeah why walter yantikoff could sell them to buy columbia records Exactly. Sell them content. When I was at Universal, I was in the uh, special markets division, yeah. and we dealt with a company called Shape CD. Okay. And they would make yeah. three-inch CDs, yes. and yes. they would make them into More actual like shapes. I know. Yeah. yeah. And and they could make them like a cowboy hat, and they would want yes. us to do like a Wrangler yeah, jeans be, promotion. We yeah. customized CD. And we were, we were talking about those yeah. for even um, your resume, <laughs> on a little CD, and then yeah. make it, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah, they were big for a little while. Yeah. And then uh, I wanted actually to do a department, music department CD, and uh, shape it like Shay Center. Mm. Huh. I don't know what happened. We didn't do it. but Right. And you were the chair, so you could have pushed it through like being a co-president. You yes. could do whatever I, you want. Kind of. Chair you can do whatever you want. You think? And, and, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. So last time we talked to you, you were the GM, um, and now you've earned the title co-president. Yeah. What are some of the key differences in your day-to-day uh, from job to job, and are you still as involved in artist development as you were the last time we spoke to you? Yeah, I think artist development is the key. Um, I'm working on a couple projects right now. I think even the last before the last time I was here, I didn't have the little golden retriever imprint, which is part of RCA now. You had just started. I just started. It. It. I've had a girl couple, named Frankie. 
Frankie up. She's she was on. I signed a kid out of Pennsylvania named Kulik, um, which which you know was a nice part of that job. Um, I'm working right now with a couple of artists. I'm trying to help them find their way. I put one of our artists from Australia. Uh, in touch with um, Red Light Management, got her new management deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the studio with an artist from the UK named Tom O'Dell last week over in London. He's working on his next record. He's one of those piano-driven rock artists, which that lane is not that easy, but trying to help him find his mm-hmm. way through that. So, you mm-hmm. know, a little bit of, of everything, but still my main function is overseeing the promotion department. I oversee brand licensing um, and uh, brand marketing and licensing um, and and breaking records. So that part really hasn't changed. Uh, you know, RCA and Sony and the artists count on myself and my department to really do those things. It's a really important part of our job. Um and, you know, just being a face for RCA records um, is mm-hmm. important. So, so when it comes to promotion, are you guys spending really as much time at the radio stations as you used to? Or is it more focused on streaming now and that's kind of taking a backseat? Well, it's, that's, a, that's a great question because I think that that's something that's changed since we were here or I was here four years ago. And um, I think when it comes to that, I think that there's still a direct correlation between hits well, there's two things, streaming hits and then there's hits. So songs, like if you look at an Ariana Grande or Post Malone or Khalid, Jonas Brothers right now, if you're looking at pop radio in particular and a little bit on the urban side or hip-hop side with um, the little techas of the world and the babies of the world, um, there those you need to still have radio to kind of underpin the streaming numbers because the hits on the radio help keep those numbers really going, has a really long tail. Um, I want to say that there was a number that in 2017, um, that in 2000, from 2017 to 2019, it was a really high percentage. It could have been as high as like 70% um, of the long tail of hits. You're still streaming on some of those records. Mm-hmm. So, And those are things that become legitimate hit songs. So, you know, it's important, I still think, for Post or, or Ariana Grande or Khalid, um, to have hit records on the radio because there is an audience out there that hasn't really gone to streaming yet. It's going to be a little bit older. It's going to be more than a 25 to 34-year-old demo, but they still need to hear it repetitively. And there are people out there that want to be programmed too as opposed to going on demand. I think that, you know, right now you, your generation um, will would rather just go out and make their own playlist. But there are still people out there that are going to want to get in their car and be played too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how hard are you pushing to get an artist on, like, Rap Caviar or something, one of those really popular playlists on Spotify? We push. You know, Rap Caviar is super important. Uh, today's Top Hits is super important. Pop Rising is super important. Um, so we do push for those. Uh, Apple uh, A-List, super important. But I think that um, the shelf life is short. So a Rap Caviar shelf life is probably six weeks, eight weeks, but if you have a record like a hit song, we're just now, our Khalid record, Talk, is just coming out of the top 10, mm-hmm. and it's over 26 weeks. Mm-hmm. So where today's top hits are rap caviar, six to eight weeks, kind of there, mm-hmm. records still on the radio are on there for almost half a year. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think that that does matter. The mm-hmm. repetitiveness matters. But you can't do that with every artist then. No, because radio still, as you probably know from some of the classes that you teach, are playing anywhere between 17 to 23 currents or 20 to 25 currents. Rap Caviar's playlist is 50. Yeah. You know, uh, today's top hits playlist is 50. So you can kind of watch them kind of move up and down on those playlists based on 
kind of the feedback they're getting and the research they're getting. And the one thing about the digital service providers, they know quicker than radio does if something is really working or not working because you could have a very short-lived life on today's top hits mm. or on rap caviar mm. if they don't see something in the first two or three weeks it's coming off mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um i think that that changes the dynamic of of exactly what you're talking about mm-hmm. now from a radio perspective if the artist is the songwriter they love it when their song is on for six months because a lot of the revenue they're getting from is a publishing standpoint from, yeah from sure. their performance rights where yep yeah Definitely. I mean, that's still like even some of the producers out there, you know, when I speak to Max Martin, if I'm having a conversation with him, he really does care about the actual airplay charts where we don't get pay for play. You know, here in the U.S., the labels don't get that. The writers and publishers still do. So they care about that airplay chart position because that repetitive play for them. You know, right now we're working the Normani song motivation. It's getting 10,000 plays a week, you know, at radio in the U.S. Mm -hmm. If we can make that happen for 26 weeks. 260,000 plays that really matters to them yeah Mm -hmm. now one thing that uh we just celebrated the year of is the music modernization act yeah and one thing that was not included that i've been actually very upset about in that music modernization act was uh the revenue for labels and for recording artists there's nothing built in there Mm -hmm. for radio to pay a, a performance royalty to the labels and to the artists that would go to sound exchange and then they would send that out or you would do a direct deal Mm -hmm. and um, is that something when that was happening that you guys were discussing and trying to lobby for, or is that way above you? Or I mean, that would be some great revenue for you guys. It'd be I mean, non-traditional revenue. Yeah, yeah. something we've never Huge. had before. Yeah. So I think that that's a big Pandora's box because I don't think there's any way we're going to see iHeart or Entercom or Cumulus want to be giving up some of that because it would have to come. Some, they'd have to somehow be involved with paying a little bit yeah. towards that because we, have they're playing the content. They're playing the content. So and they call that royalty a tax. So when they go to the uh, senators and the Congress people, they say they're trying to tax us. You don't want to raise taxes, do you? You know, so they're able to lobby. Yeah. Very it's well. it's a tough one, you know, because obviously outside the U.S. it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but also there are we're, my promotion department at RCA deals with 400 radio stations in the U.S. There's not a number like that. And even mm-hmm. if you take the other territories and combine them, it's not that number. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that the number that you're talking about here is difficult, um, would be difficult. It's not something that we didn't or wouldn't want, and we would obviously love to get non-traditional revenue uh, that we haven't gotten before. But also the stations and the chains feel like they're providing a service for us because our music is being exposed via their airwaves. Right. So it's that constant chase-your-tail conversation that's gone on for decades. Right, and and it's, you know, they're making billions of dollars in ad revenue off of your content. I I, that's true. I think they're struggling a little bit more than ever before selling advertising, and you could just see it. The numbers with terrestrial radio are still not the same. Mm -hmm. It's still the best way to expose new music, and you can look at a lot of different studies that still say even with the DSPs in there and even with the with the with Spotify and the, and the services radio for some reason is still a discovery tool for a lot of people my guess it's because of the reach once you get off of the coasts i mean you know we're here in the new york metropolitan area it's mm-hmm. a lot different in this area than it is when you're in kansas city or st louis or you know springfield missouri you know it's it's a lot different when it comes to locality and they really do count on those local radio stations to deliver for them here because we are like you know, you and college sports is a great example. If you leave this area, like we're talking about Ithaca, Syracuse, Syracuse sports, it's a huge part of the Syracuse marketplace. Ithaca sports is a huge part of the Ithaca marketplace. Cornell, 
So when you're there, that matters. When you're in the New York area, when was the last time we've heard any sports team or any kind of college sports being part of our local news broadcast. Oh, no, no. Rutgers a little bit when they had uh, Ray, uh, when they fire somebody or, yeah, some, yeah. or something mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who was the runner? No, the Her- Ray, number 28. Uh, Ray Walker. Ray, no, Ray. I want to say Ray Lewis, but it's not, not Ray Lewis. <laughs> Tony Dorsey. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> that was it. I saw it on the New York, on the New Jersey Turnpike. They would have that uh, thing. Yeah. Anyhow, I digress. No, it's, but, Ray Rice. Ray Rice. Right. Here we go. Um, but what will be more interesting, besides when you talk about that non-traditional revenue, if you were able to collect it here, therefore you would also be able to get all the revenue from, from overseas, which they do not give to the U.S. because the U.S. does not collect on behalf of foreign artists. All those stations over there don't send any of that money over here. Right. The uh, neighboring rights, that I guess they call it, over there. It's true. You know, So yeah. that could be even more it's, incremental it's, money. It's true. I just don't know if I see the light at the end of the tunnel on that particular point yeah unfortunately yeah i uh, i agree I, did, yeah. I i think it's yeah. it's a disparity i don't think it's fair you yeah. know but i think they've Sinatra gotten away was lobbying in the 50s yeah of course exactly and so, what's interesting movie theaters freeze, right? yes yes he did and movie theaters still don't pay any performance no. royalties to anybody they, they were exempt back yeah. again go back to the 1930s or 40s when uh radio came out um, the movie that. theaters, I believe, no, when TV came out, the movie theaters thought, oh, we're going to go out of business. We can't pay this uh, royalty to anybody. So mm-hmm. they've been exempt. You know, once that's there, it's very hard right. to, to break it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So who's hot now? Um, like what? we were just talking about, on the pop side, it's Post Malone. He's got uh, three songs in the top 15. Uh, he saw when he put out his record a few exactly five weeks ago. He had nine of the top ten on the streaming yeah. chart. Um, he's he's very hot. It's a, it's a genre that's working, and I think what you're also seeing from a radio standpoint, instead of them just playing one song by one artist that has the hit single, they're playing multiple songs mm-hmm. by that mm-hmm. hit artist. So that's mm-hmm. why there's three uh, Post Malone songs on mm-hmm. the air, three Khalid songs on the air, or, or Ariana Grande, mm-hmm. or Jonas Brothers. You know, they've kind of reinvented themselves and gotten back in the game, mm-hmm. which is Good mm-hmm. for them. Good for everybody. Mm-hmm. What about on the countryside? Well, we're we're really lucky. We're working with an artist named Kane Brown that feels like he's going to really break big for us in the next year or so, and we're focused on trying to give him a little bit more of a kind of a leeway, a little bit more peripheral, so try to bring him into the pop world a little bit because we really feel like he's got the potential to do it. Um, you know, um, the other country things that, that we're working with right now um, – We've got Luke Combs coming out here shortly, which has been a big artist for us overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dan and Shay have had a great right. year. Yeah. And then I've got a track with Justin Bieber, which kind of came in and flew right mm-hmm. up the charts. Mm-hmm. So those, like we have a Marshmallow, um, Kane Brown record. So those kind of duets right now or, yeah. you know, putting those features together, it seems to be a winner. Um, and country to me, and I'm, I'm sure you would agree Country fills the space of what rock radio was when we were growing up because rock radio just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. So country radio is that, you know, whether it's the highway or outlaw country, um, you find those things are on the fringe. Yeah. So, so speaking of rock radio, this is something that was up last week. There's a band called Dirty Honey. I know they are. Yeah, okay. Mark Tadia manages them from Red Light. Exactly, through Red Light, yep. but unsigned to any major label. And they had a number one mainstream, was a mainstream rock yep. trap. Yes, they did. Track. Um, but what was interesting, if you looked at the numbers... Uh, this track called, I don't have it right here, but had just over 2 million streams yeah. and on YouTube just over 600,000 views. So yeah. if you compare that to, we talk about Rap Caviar or, or Today's Hits, oh. those tracks are getting day. 
in a day, 2.6 million sure. streams. So that says something about rock it's, and it's rock It's funny radio. because um, we actually have talked about that band and bringing them in and signing them because we love working with Red Light. We do Dave Matthews Band with mm -hmm. Red Light. We do El King with Red Light. Um, we have a lot of great artists with them, and Mark Dedia, who is uh, started in rock radio in Philadelphia back in the set in the early '80s. Um, he's a good friend of ours, and um, I would love nothing more than to be able to really be in the rock business because mm -hmm. it's my personal personal taste. Right. But it's right now not a business unless you're getting a piece of the touring, because it's really hard to make money uh, on streaming with artists like that. Because to your point. You could see where the numbers really are at. Um, mm -hmm. And the track did go number one. And I think it's an accomplishment for a track like that to go number one on the rock charts. But financially, it just may not make as much sense. Which brings right. us to our first tweet, because this totally ties into what you were just talking about. Okay, so Dean D'Antuono would like to know, um, he says, Hey, I'm in a band, The Revel. We are a rock and roll band. In this day and age where everything is ruled by the media, do you think it's worth signing to a major label as a rock and roll band or grinding it out and doing it on our own? Two things, if you're a rock band, two things you'd sign to a major label for are international and radio promotion. Otherwise, you don't really need a major label because the radio promotion part, like we were talking about, there's 400 radio stations across the country. We kind of, you know, formatically, we have a promotion staff out there that goes out there and really works with them. But if you speak to somebody over Crush Management, which to me is one of the, the best management companies out there, that and, them and Red Light, they'll tell you that you don't really need a major to do things or to break or to get out there. You don't need a major to get on the DSPs, but it's going to be hard to stream if you're playing rock because it just doesn't stream. And if you look at the, the different playlists, there's just not a lot of rock playlists out there, so that makes it more difficult. Um, shooting videos, pretty cheap right now. I mean, unless you really think that you want a $50,000 video, but I don't see why any rock band would really want that at this point. Mm -hmm. um, touring, um, if you have a really good agent and a good lawyer, you kind of figure out your way to tour. And touring is where you're going to make most of your money. Merch is really, really when you're going to make most of your money. Um, major labels, when it comes to rock in general, there's only one format, which is the alternative radio format, which kind of mirrors, and you could use that format as a jump-off point for things and cross things over, like William Patterson's own Lumineers. Um, you know, mm -hmm. they, they are a AAA alternative band that have been able to get some kind mm -hmm. of crossover success. But those are few and far between. You know, Dirty Honey, though, like what you were just talking about, that's a band that I constantly keep an eye on because I want to see, are they now selling out the Bowery Ballroom? How Are they going to be able to move to Terminal 5? Like, have they grown in their touring base? And if mm -hmm. that's something that's growing, then maybe there's a conversation of getting in there and splitting some of the revenue when it comes to the touring money. Mm -hmm. They say uh, it's the same reason rock radio or rock in general, the same reason that um, Guitar Center and... Sam Asher on the verge of sure. bankruptcy because we don't have a guitar hero. Yeah. A young guitar hero. Yeah, Dave I Grohl mean, will tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, Bruce is 70. Exactly. Uh, Slash is, I don't know how old. Uh, We've you got know. Gary Clark Jr. Yeah, but yeah. Gary Clark Jr. is not that young, right? Yeah. Is he late he 30s? He's not, not that old, but he's still not that young. Yeah, he's got to be in his 30s, but a young, yeah, like I mean, someone, I think part of the things that really work with art, with fans and People want to be like Post Malone or Ariana Grande. That's what right. they want to be like. There isn't anybody that emulates that from a rock standpoint that's young. Like, right. I mean, so. in the late 60s, you had, you know, you had Jimmy Page, you had Eric Clapton. You Jimmy had Hendrix. I mean, yeah. You had Hendrix. You had, I mean, it was, the list was endless. 
People always like wanted to play guitar. They wanted to play guitar. If a Jonas brother was really good at guitar, that that could really yes. help. Yes. You know. Yeah. Because they're not very good guitar players. But if no. they, right. if they... <laughs> they do carry a guitar though. Yes. Right. Yes. They look good with but the, the guitar. The, but the 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 idea is it's it's really um, we really just like in tennis, we don't have American tennis male player, so tennis has gone way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need that some for in, some reason in America we need that idol. Mm-hmm. And there's no guitar player now, except Bruce is a grandfather. He could be. I don't know if he is yet, but, you know, he's 70 right. years old. We've looked at a couple young guitarists that I would love to be able to be like, okay, this can be it, but it just doesn't feel like that's coming mm-hmm. anymore. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. some skepticism. Right. Because like, I look at, um, I compare the Foo Fighters who you guys have on yeah. RCA, who yeah. have very good streaming numbers. They have consistently hundreds yeah. of millions of streams mm-hmm. on their top songs. But, yeah, Dave Matthews is not as successful on a streaming uh, aspect. Like his biggest song, he has one song with over 100 million streams. Right. According on Spotify. Right. I mean, if you think about Dave, Dave's career, 99, 2000, 2001, when he was playing stadiums, right? Mm-hmm. Streaming, obviously, glimmer in someone's but, eye yeah. <laughs> um, hasn't really come onto the scene yet but the thing that I love about Dave Matthews is that he's been able to continue his touring base like so he will come back around next year mm-hmm. and do a shed tour and play mm-hmm. 35 dates in the US and if you go on to Spotify and if you look at Dave Matthews live and you're a Dave Matthews fan you could probably pick from 30 live different live concerts that he's given to Spotify Springsteen doesn't do that Springsteen mm-hmm. sells you and I'm a huge Bruce fan Right. Sells you his music on on Nugs dot net. Right. You know his live shows. He puts out one live show every first Friday of the month. But he'll sell that to you. You can go on to Spotify and pick one of forty Dave Matthews shows. Mm-hmm. So he's giving the music out there, which I really do like about it. But I really just wonder if his fans just would rather go to a live concert from Saratoga Springs in two thousand and six than actually hear the new Dave Matthews record. Mm-hmm. It's always the danger that you run into with these artists and. Um, but it's also about continuing to put out content. You know, Dave put out his first record in seven years last year. Mm-hmm. He's going into the studio now to work on something for next year. The Foos are going to be going in the studio to put something out next year. So I think it's really important that you continue to put new music out and tour behind it. Well, with Dave, yeah. you used the term long tail a, w- a while ago, yeah. which was almost a, an early two, earlier 2000s term. But right. still, like Dave, so Dave putting out 40 concerts. Yeah. Um, if that's 25 songs per concert, 25 times right. 40, that's, I can't do the math, but, but 800 songs or yeah, something? Yeah, but something like that. And and, and while his <laughs> is that numbers, not, is that right? it's going to be something in that yeah. range, the 800 range. But ultimately, he may not do over 100 million streams, but those shows, like if you go back and you want to hear Riverbend, Cincinnati in 2001, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. there. Wrigley Field, um, Fenway Park, those shows are there if you want to pull up. And you remember with Dave... He changes his set list constantly. Mm-hmm. So you can always kind of get something different from Dave uh, on that show. Does yeah. it still make sense to have um, like a Dave Matthews because that's like the marquee rock artist for your label and it attracts artists? Like baseball teams, I always think of the, when the Mets signed yeah. Pedro Martinez in 05. Yeah. That drew more p- young people yeah. to want to sign with the Mets, for example. Yeah. Does that work? Um, I think for us, it's the younger artists that we've signed recently. Mm-hmm. Rex Orange County. Brockhampton, um, you know, um, um, Childish Gambino, those are the artists that are attracting the younger talent coming in. With the Foo Fighters or with Dave Matthews or with Cage the Elephant, we're doing more JVs. 
because it does it makes sense to be sharing in the profit with them. Mm-hmm. They need us for one specific thing, which is promoting their music. They don't really need us for recording. They and are their own records, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not really something where um, we're involved in the studio with Dave saying, "Dave, no, you should do this." Dave's going to do what Dave's going to do. Right. You know, both Dave's Grohl and mm-hmm. right. Matthews. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why those deals are structured differently than they were ever before for any of these superstar mm-hmm. rock acts. Okay. Do we find that? Do you find that? Uh, more are requesting joint ventures? Yeah. And I think it's good for us. It's like we're we're working on one now, Backstreet Boys. We helped them kind of reestablish themselves in mm-hmm. the last year. Um, we we took them out and um, we helped them get on their first real tour in the U.S., arena tour. Um, we're going to be working on a new project with them. It would make more sense to be doing a joint venture with Backstreet Boys. It makes more sense to do joint ventures with the rock bands. Anything that's really established that's not really going to be yeah. big streamers, I think it just makes more sense to do that. Right, right. Um, let's get into social media a little bit because what do you want? You sign a band. Yeah. What do you want from them in order to for them to self-promote? What are you looking for? What Authenticity. Um, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's like the key like authenticity is the key kids know what's real and what's not real if we're out there doing the social media for an artist they kind of know that and we want our artists to feel comfortable with it there are some artists out there that just don't love to post you know they just don't want to do it and and we do constantly work them to do we know that posting really helps build their profile and helps them grow so we want authenticity first and foremost we want consistency Mm -hmm. Uh, hopefully we're getting those things on the social media side um, and then we try to build a plan for them. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then where I was going was also, what if you're getting, what if you have the artist and like you said, they don't want to post and it's, they'd rather just be the artist and they don't want to do that anymore. What kind of, how are you trying to convince them that this is good for you and this is going to help your career down the line? I mean, I think they see things like when Pink posts, mm-hmm. you know, Pink, one of our artists as well, mm-hmm. she sees immediately reaction off of Twitter because she's somebody who speaks from her heart and speaks honestly. So when she does post or when they do post and we see reaction or they see the retweets or they see on their Instagram, you know, Miley Cyrus, I want to say for Miley, uh, during Nothing Breaks Like a Heart, which was the Mark Ronson record that we put out in um, beginning of the year, right? Ended last year, beginning of this year. You could see she must have picked up in that period of time 20 million Instagram followers. Mm. So, you know, you see these numbers go through the roof. The thing that's really hard to get a handle on with social media, whether it's Instagram or with Twitter, is are they really connecting to the music? Like, is the music... Is the music really being taken advantage of or are people going to their music because you're following Miley Cyrus on Instagram or do you just care about what she's doing socially? Mm -hmm. So that's been a tricky kind of balance. Yeah, that was the next question of if they're being authentic, it's hard to put that call to action in there in which you're asking them to. Yeah, they may not put the call to action in there. So, and you know what, that's something we don't want to pressure them into doing Mm -hmm. because I think that for them, again, being authentic is what matters, and we do want to see their social numbers grow, but I think with every artist, it's going to be different. Do you know if, um, do you have any internal numbers, for example, for every 10 million uh, followers somebody has, that accounts for X number of streams or X no. amount of revenue? You no. haven't been able to put I wish, any of that together. I actually wish it would be that easy to right. kind mm. of come up with a formula yeah. that says that. Um, 
but no, that that's not something because I think with every artist it's really different. It depends on how music intensive they ultimately are, how loyal their fan base really is. I think you can get a sense though if somebody if they like the music or don't like the music, which I think is important when you have big numbers like that. But I don't think you can equate it to specific numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is your? Yeah, you can pass on this, but it was just someone in my class okay. asking. Okay, this Gabriel Garcia would like to know, what's your opinion on potentially signing an artist who is awaiting arraignment? Um, you know, I think every company is going to have their own policy as to how they want to look at those things. And um, there are labels that do sign people that are awaiting arraignment. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to be different. I don't think there's a, you know, like, like anything, I don't think there's a hard, fast answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, awaiting arraignment is not being found guilty. So, you know... Right. I don't really have an answer. What is the process of RCA signing an artist? Artist is out there. You guys are interested. Who who discovers it? Let's say it's A&R person. Well, let's do Brockhampton yeah. because it's a good one. So three and a half years ago, one of our A&R scouts, Derek Aro, um, great kid, was at Irving Plaza, saw the collective on stage, saw the energy in the building, so Irving Plaza is about six, seven hundred. It's not that big of a room. Mm -hmm. um, the band had kind of been together for a short period of time. Um, they had been releasing music. They hadn't really started to stream at this point, but felt the energy in the room and felt like, okay, this is something we need to be part of because it's a reflection of what we want our record company to be. Came home that night, sent an email out to the key executives. In the next couple of days, we started to all kind of pile in and look at it and see really what we, what we, how we felt about it. Brockhampton, in return, wasn't interested in signing to a major label for two or three years. But because it was something that we were kind of keeping an eye on and watching and building a relationship with, and um, fast forward to this past week, I was in L.A. with them. We talked a lot about the song Sugar, which is something I'm committed to try to take out to the masses, try to get more people exposed and to really like Brockhampton. I think they deserve that opportunity, like all the other artists deserve that opportunity. If Brockhampton wants to be discovered by more people, it's probably because you're going to be going out and going onto the radio to hit more people than you're able to hit by touring uh, club venues. Um, so for us, it was a process of two or three years, but we let Brockhampton really tell us what they want to do. We're an instrument of, of Brockhampton's. So for the first couple of years, they turn the records in, we put them out, we kind of give them ideas on what we think would work, but it's completely up to them. They are the artist, we work for the artist. Mm -hmm. So um, now they're at a point where they're like, you tell us, Joe, what do you think we need to do to get to that next level? So those are the conversations that we're having now. But one thing I don't want to do, and I was crystal clear with them in the conversation, is I don't want to change or have any influence on changing who Brockhampton or what Brockhampton is because they're unique in their own way. They're unique. Mm -hmm. So I want them, I want to try to get the masses to come to them. I want them to move a little bit to the middle, but I want to try to get the masses to come to them as well. So hopefully these two things are starting to move towards each other like a magnetic pull. And that's ideally the best kind of scenario for us when we're looking at signing an artist in the process. And everyone's going to be different. Are you thinking international at the same time? Are, are you signing these artists specifically domestically or is no, this a worldwide globally. deal? Yeah, globally. Are you getting input from people around the world? I think that the way we work is um, if our U.K. company has something that they're really interested in signing, um, they could sign it. And then we'll hear in the U.S., whether it's us or Columbia or Epic or Arista or Orchard, We'll look at that artist and we'll be like, um, we would like to work that here in the United States. Somebody will raise their hand and they make a decision as to which label actually picks it up. So there are some artists like Mark Ronson is signed to Columbia, UK, but he's on RCA in the U.S. Hmm. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So then um, what happens after that? So you guys agreed that you're going to sign. What do you do with a band that really doesn't have great management? Yeah, that, that's challenging. I think management plays a really big role in success. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the artists have to go through the process of their managers because there's a comfort level artists have with their managers. Their managers are out there and are supposed to have their back 24-7, just like, you know, the label is. But in particular, the management's, are the management's there for everything that they need. Right. So um, I think it's a process with each artist as to how they feel their manager is really working for them and what the management does for them mm-hmm. and what they're able to really bring to the table for them. It could be touring. It could be social media. It could be the DSPs. It could be relationships with, you know, promoters. So I think each one of them is different. I think with Ron Lafitte picking up with the Backstreet Boys just in the last couple of years, Ron's relationships with promoters here in the U.S. was was strong enough for mm-hmm. them to actually make more money than they've ever made before. And that's the most ironic thing to me. Backstreet Boys sold 15 million albums on Millennium. They made more money this year touring than they made on any of those records. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Which is because of the manager. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, helped a little bit helping to get them back out there again, but it was the managers. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Understanding that. Interesting. Now, um, let's move back social media for a sec let's talk about tiktok Mm -hmm. because tiktok has become so hot and such of an audio platform yeah more even though people are thinking video video, but it's got a lot Mm -hmm. of audio to it so it's breaking songs like you know little nas x for example and other things yeah yeah um yeah so what are you doing with that are you uh, well we have like like good a and r departments have a research department that Mm -hmm. looks at metrics and tiktok is obviously a metric that we are looking at and yes little nas x is a story of something that did break through tiktok to me little nas x is twofold it's a twofold story tiktok played a role in it but i also really think that when billboard magazine made the decision to take it off of the country chart i think that the very smart people at columbia records saw an opportunity got Billy Ray Cyrus to come in and do a remix and took it to a completely different level. That's the reason why he's on the cover of Time magazine. Not so much because of TikTok. TikTok was the door opener. But the thing about TikTok is that it's not always the music. Like, there's certain parts of songs that may not be a musical part of a record. It could be a lyric, a phrase, a sound, a bridge that actually on TikTok is the the piece that's being right. used. Mm-hmm. So it may not really help the song. Now, this particular record, perfect storm, right? Everything goes right. TikTok comes in, the number skyrocket. Columbia was looking at it before TikTok, to be fair. Mm-hmm. So um, TikTok just took it to a new level. When Billboard magazine decided to take it off of the country chart, I think that that stirred the pot a lot. And I think Columbia saw a great opportunity to take advantage of a media moment. Uh, a media or gaff on Billboard's part, mm-hmm. um, and then they took advantage of it, and then that kind of really opened up the door really wide. So, mm-hmm. when you look at TikTok, yes, there are there are more the examples than just Little Nas X, um, but I don't think it's like any other tool that our A and R department is going to look at the live show, the fan base, um, the streaming numbers. Sometimes they're going to exist. Even this is where SoundCloud does help in that level. Like when we're looking to sign mm-hmm. TikTok. Um, the presentation, songwriting. Mm-hmm. Right. Another interesting thing that I noticed, I nanny for young girls, um, and it's the revival of songs from my growing up that are um, coming back for them through TikTok. Like, they were singing Fergalicious to me, and I was like, oh, yeah. my gosh, there's no reason why you should know this. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. That's, that's my point, though, to Fergalicious. It's the probably the F to the E to the R to the G to the I. That's what girls are kind of using. Latching that's on. what they're yeah. latching onto. Um, yeah, that's definitely a hook of a song, but you can look at three hooks in that song, mm-hmm. you know? So. So when you guys are putting together a campaign, full marketing campaign for whether it's Brockhampton or, or any new song, Sugar by Brockhampton, are you looking at influencers? Are you saying for everything we do, we have to try and get some influencer component into that and then search that right person out and see how that can work? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the artist has an ability to attract influencers besides the label going out there to get influencers mm-hmm. to help you market the project. So, yes, I think that it's a twofold conversation, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, influencers are really important in the building of an artist. And, you know, you, are they the end-all, be-all? No. Can they point things in the right direction? Yes. Um, but it's not something I think that, you know, it's funny because um, we were talking about my son managing an, an artist, a couple one-bedroom pop kid from Ithaca, a couple DJs, so um, there was a third party that said, we can help you with this DSP because we can help you get this playlisted via the influencers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got to pay them mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. Small money. And it did give them more streams than they've ever actually had before. So there are ways of going in there to try to help your numbers or streaming mm-hmm. numbers. So they do play a role, especially on that really kind of entry, low-level, independent, trying-to-launch type thing now. For us, we've got a combination of some of those artists that we're really trying to build upon, but we've also got a really big roster of superstars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're trying to grow your stream numbers, yeah, um, you hear a lot, you know, play live, play live, play live. But what are some other things that aren't getting as much attention that really could help you get your streams up? Yeah, um, putting music out, putting content out, putting out behind the scenes. Um, Getting your socials up like we were just talking about. I think they're all really important touch points in the scheme of things. Being out and playing live is just one component of it because you want to try to build a base. If you're, you know, a rock band in New Jersey trying to break, you want to play that Stone Pony. The, I don't know if the Firehouse is still doing shows up here, mm-hmm. but you want to play that circuit and build your base. Like if you talk to Jack Antonoff, who is from this area, mm-hmm. one thing he'll always say to he's always said this to me, is like, you know, playing the Wayne Firehouse and playing this circuit was a big thing for his first group because it kind of helped him get into, you know, playing in Brooklyn, playing here in North Jersey, and um, just getting around. And then I kind of feel like expanding that, you have to do it in increments, like doing North Jersey, doing Brooklyn, you know, playing Poughkeepsie, playing New Haven, mm-hmm. and then try to go play Boston, try to go out and play a little bit in the Albany, going to western part of New York State, go south, go to Baltimore, go mm-hmm. to D.C., go to Philadelphia, play the Troc, play some of those small places. And I think that if you kind of concentrate, it's affordable because you're not dealing with trying to drive across the country mm-hmm. to play in Atlanta, which is an unforgiving market, or play mm-hmm. in Florida, which is an unforgiving market. You don't try to route into Texas, which is really difficult. You try to do it in a way that's manageable and economically feasible for you as a young band or young artist and keep yourself like doing that. Do that circuit a couple times. It's only going to help you build your audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ashley has a question, but she doesn't have a mic. Oh. So Maddie's now going Ashley, to Ashley, I'm your voice. Yes. Um, since podcasting is growing, do you think RCA is going to be reaching out to podcasters or podcasting collectives in order to help build an artist? Or 
do you see an artist doing a podcast of their own to promote their music? You know, we launched a podcasting division just recently. We just purchased uh, or part of, uh, I think it's Three Uncanny, which is um, has had did the um, has done a couple really good uh, did the Jeffrey Epstein podcast that got a lot of coverage. So for us, podcasting is really important, and we've got our division. Tom McKay, who oversees our soundtrack division, that came from Universal Music. You might remember him, Dave, from back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. Um, he he is overseeing our podcasting division. And um, you look at the terrestrial radio companies. Look at the business that iHeart is now doing mm-hmm. in podcasting, mm-hmm. including now their own podcasting award show, because they've got to have an award show for everything. <laughs> um, but 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 you look at that, and these companies: Entercom, iHeart, Sony Music, Universal. The list goes on and on. It's something that we really want to grow. And um, I think when it comes to artists, um, do you remember Jeff Pollock? He's been around for a really long mm-hmm. time. He's you know been kind of a consultant for the record business. Mm-hmm. He came mm-hmm. in to our office, I want to say two years ago, and basically saying on Spotify, do a two- or three-minute podcast of your artist. Have your artist do a two- or three-minute podcast instead of it being for a song. Do two or three minutes about them, their lives. Make that part of your content to help it grow. So, yeah, I think it really becomes super important. And you can see, you know, even for myself, you know, I was not a big podcast guy. And then, like, in the last year, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm getting on the train in Montclair, going to the city. I'm going to throw on a podcast. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm listening to. Yeah. So a Golden Retriever, when we were here last yeah. time, was an imprint that you were just starting up. And you mentioned earlier, so it's been absorbed by RCA? Well, it was a J, it's a JV with RCA because okay. it just makes sense to do it. And um, I think for me, the thing that's been the most challenging is since we were talking about my role and how it changes GM into present, I really wish I had the time to really just dive deep into Golden Retriever. But I also have a responsibility to the artists that are RCA artists more so than ever before. So it's kind of there. I haven't, the right thing comes along. I'll do something again. I'll pick something up, but it's going to have to be something that is the right thing at the right time. I do feel, though, the funny thing is I feel like there's merchandising opportunities with Golden Retriever because Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lane there that hasn't really been tapped on. So I'm going to try to work on that, which doesn't really take up a ton of time, um, really, when it comes to the artist development part. So just doing little things, but nothing really happening with it right now. Okay. Nine-second break, then we'll come right back with Joe Riccatelli on Music Biz. One 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 more more radio again. WPSC, Wayne, New Jersey. On the radio, 88.7 FM. Online, gobrave.org. A tune-in radio station. Part of the William Patterson Broadcast Network. You didn't? You yeah. So we're back. We're back. Yeah, thank you so much. Boy. Um, I was just about to swear and tell Joe, don't say it. Don't uh, say it. I, we've had the worst trouble in the past, I would say the past year, with almost every person who's uh, been a guest on this show has said uh, a word you're not allowed to say on radio. Yeah. yeah. But apparently you're allowed to say it because they've said it, even though we tell them don't say it, and then they say yeah. it. Yeah, but as long as you say don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's true. You're covered. So we visited you back in March. We took a class out to New York City. And right, you spoke that was to a lot of fun. Right? It was yeah. great. Your students were great, by the way. So yeah. Nice. Were yep. you there, Maddie? Yeah. yeah, she was mad at us that day, so she just Yeah, I, I like doing that, so I hope you plan on doing that again this year. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, actually, the, the woman, Alba, who put it together is now at Spotify. Oh, fantastic. So we actually need a new contact there to, to put it together. Okay, so great. We'll, we'll bug you about that. Yeah. One, just one more thing for you to do. Not a problem. You have no That's problem. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, so um, one thing we talked about briefly there, and I think we should talk about now, is the drip method of releasing a single at a time, song, 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 as a po- versus album. the full album at yeah. one time. Um, talk about... How you think about that, what type of artist, what type of genre that works, what works best, that kind of thing. Yeah. And trends you're it's, seeing. 
it's really, I think it's really the $64,000 question yeah. because, you know, I want to sit here and say artists should release albums all the time. It's better for us. The real deal is I don't think it's that... It's better for you because it can volume, come out as physical yeah, at the same time. Or, that, right. Like you were just talking about 25 tracks, Dave Matthews, right. over a period of time. Da, 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 da. Uh, 13 songs as opposed to four mm-hmm. going up on the DSPs. Even though radio is only going to be able to play one of them or two of them at a time. Um, but the real thing is is that in the world that we're living in now, and I have 22-year-old sons, you guys here are in school and you know in that demo... I don't. I, I'm just curious. What is the last album you actually bought and be like? I'm going to listen to this album all the time. I just bought um, "Father of the Bride" by Vampire Weekend on vinyl. Okay, great. So, is that something? Do you buy albums regularly, or are you more of a song driven? Um, I am an album listener. Yeah, I I kind of feel like in this room or at the <laughs> radio station or people that are in the music program. I'm still an album person. I yeah. think I'll always be that. I think that we are, but I find us in the minority. Yeah, I know that's right. My class, I'll say something. I'll say, so how many? And then these hands go up, and I say, it again defies exactly what the numbers right. say so in it, the music business. Right. So um, a couple things happen. Um, we're seeing the biggest streaming numbers come when we're releasing new music in the sense of, like, we put a Khalid record out in May. We could easily be working a third or fourth single off of this album. But as the streaming numbers decrease here, as you get into September, October, November, December, are we better off putting out an EP with a new single to try to refresh the numbers? And then in April, put out an EP with a new single to drive the numbers. So you're talking about eight to ten songs over a six-month period, but are you better off doing it as two pieces mm-hmm. as opposed to one piece? And that's really the big question now. Again, going back to our roster, Justin Timberlake is going to put an album out. Pink is going to put an album out. Dave Matthews and Foo Fighters, they're going to put albums out. They're working on albums. They're album-oriented artists. But a lot of our hip-hop artists, like Cowboy with Envy Me, that's a single. One of the most streamed songs of this year, one of the most played songs of this year, Cowboy should be focused on just dropping singles, right? Khalid, you can make an argument really either way. But you can see on the pop side with numbers. Now, I want to take the Jonas Brothers and make them an exception because remember, when they put their album for sale, they tied a ticket bundle into their album Mm -hmm. to get that number and something else we probably should touch on before we wrap, Mm -hmm. um, our ticket bundles and merch pieces in general um, because they drive numbers. Um, But that being said, music itself seems to be coming from... um, singles and it seems like that's where we're seeing the kind of big spikes and then and then I think newer artists I think that's the way it's going to go the configurations Miley Cyrus wanted to put out these three EPs still not really sure where we're going to end up with Miley because with her she's kind of an in-between artist between tomorrow or now and the past because of how she grew up mm-hmm. so is it, it's is, ongoing. Is it genre-based, too? I mean, you're saying... I kind of feel more. like it is a little bit because I think it's hard for Vampire Re- Weekend. Vampire Weekend probably wants to go into the studio and make an album. Bleachers, Jack yeah. Antonoff, yeah. wants to go into the studio and he wants to make a Bleachers album. So that, to me, is genre-based. Alternative still is that Rex Orange County we're putting out next Thursday. That's going to be an album. Um, you see, but, if I'm the Foo Fighters, though, 
because I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. And the last album, which came out, Concrete and Blonde, two year, just over two years ago, um, they did start that with, it was either three or four singles. Before the album. Before the, we did. the album finally yes. came out. So mm-hmm. you kind of touched, you know, you, you, you touch, what do you call it? You know, you dipped your toes you in the water. Yeah. Um, and you tease I know they tour, and they tour forever when they do it. Right, 18 months. But I almost think they could be the ones, for example, if they have a 13-song album, if they put out a song, a new song for 13 months in a row, right. that would promote the tour, which would promote the merch, which would promote more revenue, which would promote themselves, which would drive more. And if they wanted with within that 13 months of one song per month, they could also do like what Dave does and release full concerts in between or something. But they could yeah. have so much uh, content, they could really keep get that momentum I just, going. I, I think the trickiest thing for us when it comes to those things... We did this a little bit with the Man of the Woods album with Justin, and to your point, the the um, the last um, Foo Fighters record, we put out four songs. I want to say in a six or seven week, maybe eight week period, because they did have a longer leadway than what Man of the Woods did, which mm-hmm. was four songs in five weeks and album. the The audiences that you're talking about, um, the Foo Fighters audience, mid thirties to fifty four, yeah. right? Mid thirties to fifty four. Yeah. So for them, are they going to really be able to digest a song a week? Or is their audience that music intensive? Or do they want that whole album at one time so that they can drive to wherever they're driving to or, you know, put their headphones on and smoke and mm-hmm. the Foo Fighters record? <laughs> right. So it's hard to say. Um, I, that's the one thing, like, we're doing this. We have this band called X-Lovers, really great, talented band, um, visionary management, great guys. We've been talking about how do we release music. So we're releasing a song every other week. The thing that I just can't completely get a grip on, and I don't think management or they can either, is are people to be able to digest that song in two weeks? Is their fan base big enough? Are we growing the numbers enough to digest that song in two weeks and then put another song out two weeks after that and then put another song two weeks after that? Mm-hmm. Are they just too tight or too close together? Haven't been able to figure out that spacing. Yeah, I, I was going to say, because I, I manage one artist, and, and I have found with him... After you get about six weeks, right at the six-week mark, it's it's pretty much done. That's probably you know, it. and that's, that's sort of I, I found that, and then that's when you need something new. Every two weeks, yeah. I think you're almost cannibalizing yourself. I'm just, and that's a gut. I haven't seen the data. The data would say yeah. a lot, but I would feel that's that's too soon. Yeah. But they're trying stuff. Sorry, go. No, it's all good. Um, I think Justin Bieber did this a few years ago, where he came out with a single every week. He did. Um, and like it do you so that's when Justin did it, the first record was a monster because that record went on the air and he did a really good job setting up. It was a long time in between releases. Mm-hmm. And then like do you the second song that comes out as we were talking about radio, and you guys have done a lot with radio and had conversations with program directors before, their audience takes a while to really gravitate and grasp the music because they're playing it seven times. Let's say they're playing it 35 times a week, 40 times a week. That audience takes a while to really get it. So you release a Justin Bieber single, then you release another one a week later. Can that record still have the same impact? We always see the first single has the best impact, and then it starts to diminish after that. So when you're starting a new cycle, the first single is going to have the best impact, and it starts to diminish. So with Bieber, they have a big hit. They release the second single. And Camila Cabello is kind of going through this right now with Liar and her second song. She's got the two songs out together. But you can see one song is just clearly outperforming over the other song. So it's hard for people to grasp 
two songs and does she have enough of an audience where people are like, I want both of those records. Mm -hmm. It's like that. that's the part, like the, to me, we're like living through the stock market in real time. We're looking at things in mm -hmm. real time like we've never really done before because of the way our business is going. You can look at Spotify numbers. I'm sure you guys pull up the Spotify charts every single morning. You look at the Spotify charts, you're like, okay, this is what's really streaming. You know, this is what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And then you um, just really, you try to make right decisions, but you're doing everything in such real time now. It's kind of like an experiment every time you're doing it, but, it you know, do you think it would be beneficial? So let's say I was Justin Bieber and I'm doing the same thing again. I put out that first song, it's a monster. And then the second song, I get someone else that I'm collabing with, like... Right, Marshmallow or whatever. To bring the attention back up. Mm -hmm. Is that something that... Sure, but that's Justin Bieber. How many right. Justin Biebers are there? Mm -hmm. He's one of those handfuls that we were just talking about in that Post Malone, Khalid, you know, Ariana mm -hmm. Grande category. So if you're not, if you're ex-lovers, you know, and you're putting the music out, like, do you know the space between these two tracks? They want to keep their audience wanting more, so put out a record every two weeks. Can the audience digest a song every two weeks? I think it's, that's really, I think six weeks to me feels more like the most comfortable time period. But again, it's going to be different with everybody. And I don't think anybody's right or wrong, because like you talked about, it's an experiment, so we're living through it. And the perspective is different, because... Let's say I manage my artist, this guy, Zach Matari. We're DIY. I know him. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. yeah. G he, Giancarlo, who yes, you, I know. Eastern Intern used to be his drummer. Yes, I've yes. seen him. I've seen him play. Um, and Tim Geisen, I've seen him play. Oh, that's right, yes. Yes. And um, so, uh, where was it? So the perspective is for DIY, we're not thinking radio. We're not thinking about how long an audience takes to grasp on it. Right. So in a way... I want to say, in a way, it's easier for you, but in a way, it's harder for you because you have to think of radio and you have to think of the streaming. For us, we're just thinking the streaming because okay, so we know radio is not there. Okay, so let's say I'm not thinking there. of radio. You yeah. get Pop Rising. Let's say you get Pop Rising on a Zach record. Mm -hmm. You're not putting another record out two weeks later or three weeks later because mm -hmm. Pop Rising is going to last you four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. right. So you want to kind of you want to extract everything you True. can get off of mm -hmm. that playlist. So maybe you get Pop Rising on a record, then you're like, okay, well, now we're not putting a record out in three weeks. We're going to wait. Right. So I guess it's adjusting as mm -hmm. you're doing it. So we look at these things. Like, when they're happening, we look at them, and we're like, I think we should wait here for another three weeks. We do this all the time when we're sitting in the room. Okay, this is happening. We're seeing our best numbers ever. Let's wait mm -hmm. on the next track. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then I guess you could see whatever's happening. For example, if a TikTok thing started, you know, to trend. Right. You know, if all of a sudden, like, when we just really quickly back to TikTok, um, if you talk about a much younger audience than the people in the room, like I have a daughter who's 15 and she'll, she, I'll be driving she and her friends around. They'll hear a song that comes on Z100 and they won't know who the artist is. They won't know the name of the song, but they'll go, this is a TikTok. Because they'll know it from TikTok. They'll know, if, they'll know the hook or the hook or this portion of the song. That's not even the hook of the song. That's but what I mean. Yeah, yeah. which we were talking about earlier. The quality of TikTok. Yeah. It may not be the hook of the song, but it's a part of the song that they know. Yeah, yeah. And 25 and under. Exactly. The biggest... Oh, it is. For TikTok, yeah. yeah. 25 and under. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's even younger than that. Yeah. Do you know who Todd Shefflin is? No. Todd is the guy. He actually used to go here. He graduated. He graduated here, and he's the guy for TikTok who's negotiating the licenses between TikTok and the major labels. Wow. So, uh, yeah, and he's young. You know, yeah. I, maybe he's 30. Yeah. Maybe he's 30. Might be, yeah. Yeah, 29. Mm -hmm. Yeah, much younger than us. We don't understand those people. <laughs> so one thing you said to, to bring up, uh, take-up bundles and merch pieces. Yeah, you I think that um, Billboard's going to change the, um, they're going to change the, um, 
the rules here at the beginning of the year yeah. with that, merch bundles. I mean, as, as a label, you, you like that. Well, yeah, I think exp- for, explain I, what it is. So well, some I think people... like we were talking about Backstreet Boys, we were talking about Pink. I think for artists like that in particular, they, they, their, their fan base, 35-plus fan base, they want to, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to get music. So if you work out something with Ticketmaster um, and mm-hmm. with the promoter, you know, Live Nation in most cases, you want to be able to just, like, you buy the ticket. There's, like, a $7 upcharge, but you just click the button and you get the album. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Backstreet Boys, we would have never done the 150,000 first-week albums that we did on them. It's not the world we live in anymore. You know, we don't sell albums like that unless you are Post Malone or Drake, you know, or maybe Ari uh, on this most recent album. You want to make it easy. So the Backstreet Boys fan is not going to go searching for the album. So make it easy for them. Buy the ticket, click here, you get the album for the ticket price. Mm. So it's really worked out well. It's worked out well with Dave. It's worked out well. We haven't done with the Foos yet, but it's worked out well with Dave. It's worked out well with Backstreet Boys. With Brockhampton, it's about merch because their fans are so rabid. So we sell T-shirt bundles or laminate bundles like Travis Scott. When Travis Scott did that big number last year, Mm. you got the laminate with the ticket. You were able to get into the GA early. So people really cared about that. That's what helped drive the numbers. So it's a part of the game. And that was a good, uh, Nicki Minaj did a, when we talk about brilliant <laughs> marketing, she did not do a bundle and she came in, her uh, I know. album was number two to Travis Scott number one because right. of the ticket bundle, which she didn't do. And she made a big stink about it, which raised a lot more awareness of Nicki Minaj. And she kind of made so, it. So you're pro Billboard counting ticket bundles as part of the data. Well, the ticket bundle, they are paying for it. There's an extra $7. Like the, to me, the ticket bundle is not, it's it's the merch thing that gets really dicey. The three ninety nine merch piece yeah. that really gets dicey. The ticket right. bundle to me is not. It's like you know they're paying for the album with the ticket price. Right. So but would they have gone somewhere and just bought the album? We, you we you know, know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So it's incre- an incremental sale basically, or it's it's it's. Well, it's very easy for the yeah. fan. Like, you know, is the fan going to go? You know, you guys know what the iTunes numbers are looking like. You see it. Is the fan going to go to iTunes and buy the Backstreet Boys album? I don't really know if they're going to take the time out of their day to go on to iTunes to make sure their account is still there. What's my password? You know, probably not. They're not that type of a buyer at this point in their life. Did you see, uh, did you have something still on that? Yeah, I was just thinking of the middle-aged women who are interested in Backstreet Boys. And last night I was at a concert in, at the Mayo. I saw of Trombone Shorty. Sure. And if you want no energy and the average i think the average age was probably 55 probably. plus yeah. standing the whole time screaming at him i mean mostly women too i would say uh two-thirds one-third yeah and i was i i've, I've seen him several times and and it was just uh, amazing to me that these you know these people even grandmothers I and mean, there were people in their 60s and 70s up there the whole time standing couldn't didn't sit down once and screaming at him, yeah. Uh, it, 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 I just had never witnessed that before. Yeah, but that's the same thing. The Backstreet Boys. I'm sure if I went to a concert, I, oh, I did. I, I went to a few that. of them on this tour, and I could not because I worked with them in 1999. Yeah. on Millennium, so I know what that audience is. And those girls, women, could not be more happy than seeing the Backstreet Boys yeah. out on tour again and um, sold out here at Prudential Center, sold out Barclays Center. Yeah. So they did really well for themselves. I'm, I'm happy for them because, remember, they fell under that um, old um, deal under yeah. Luke Perlman yeah. where they were not making money for those records. Sure. So they were just not 
making money. They were making money on merch, but their deals weren't great. Now, this is a chance for them to be set and their families mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. And those guys have worked hard for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, I think it's time to wrap up. Marconi is giving the wrap-up The wrap-up. Ashley, who got up at 3 a.m. to work, is uh, asleep. Thank you, Ashley, for engineering Thank you, today. Ashley, for letting yeah, us you. stay over and stay long. We're in our and Please pajamas. come and intern for us next spring. I mean it. Ah, you see what just happened here? All right. We talk a lot about networking here and growing your network and meeting people. Super important. And um, t- t- tell us just before you set out in the hall. I'm sorry, Ashley. Just uh, we talked about. I brought. I introduced Ashley to you, and sure. she brought up she has, and she's had six different internships. Five different. I lied. Five different internships, and then the sixth would be next semester in the right. spring. And talk about what you've done with interns. Well, first of all, my internship led me to my first job mm-hmm. at Polygram Records. I interned in the college radio department with a guy named Jack Iswith, who, who Steve may know. Um, and um, it, when when it came time, I was able to take a job as a clerk in the advertising department. I wanted to get in, but it was the internship and networking that really made a difference. I continued to network um, in the building there once I got in there because I think that that's really part of it, especially if you're a promotion person, you want to be outgoing. Um, and that made, made a big difference for me and helped me get my foot in the door. At RCA now in my department, um, I can think of five or six people at RCA that had interned either through in promotion or in marketing or A&R over the last five years that have jobs there. And I kind of feel like the internship gives you the best possible perspective of day-to-day business life. Mm-hmm. You know, the, our intern now, um, Serena, sitting right outside my office, I bring her in to listen to music that comes in when I, we get demos in because, first of all, she's in that 18 to 24 demo, like we were just talking about, one mm-hmm. of the most important buying demos, and I want to get her perspective on things and see really musically because if you're doing an internship at a record label, you're going to be music passionate, so people that really do like music, I think it's really important, and I just kind of feel like you'll make contacts that you won't make, so that is the most to me, besides getting an education, the most important thing you do is an internship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And we just want people to meet people. Yeah. You know, and and it's so important. About yeah, that. we actually have our college reps in tomorrow at Sony. They're doing a two-and-a-half-hour kind of symposium. We're playing new artists for them. Our college reps, we've probably got about 15 or 17 in the country. They'll go out, and they'll be promoting our stuff on campuses. Um, in this area, I want to say, I want to say, we have one in Brooklyn. We have one in Syracuse in, in this particular area. No, no, Rutgers. I don't think we do. Mm. I mean, I think it's Syracuse, and I think it's uh, in Brooklyn, one of the Brooklyn. Because we had the one here for Warner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. For a couple of years, yes. So, all right. So, let's now let's definitely do some wrapping up. So, Dr. Okay. Stabon, thank you, Dr. Stabon. And next week we have? Why Dr. Stabon? Oh, that's... Uh, that's him. It, okay. it just happened. And, okay. <laughs> next week... I've been sitting here wondering why. Why Dr. Esteban Marconi? Yeah, I've yes. given up wondering what he is. why. By the way, we've had similar careers because I interned at Polygram. You're, okay. a, you're a co-president. Yes. And I got my first job at Polygram. I'm a co-host. There you go. So yeah. we're both, both co something. Yeah, that, that's God, really that's that's that the same thing is that I'd probably make more money than you. I don't want to rub it in, but might. I make a lot of yes. money. At where where did you intern at Polygram? Jim Caparo. Of course. And PGD. Yes. William Patterson graduated. Another, yeah. that's right, who graduated in something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's still in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Saddle River. Great guy. Great Very guy. nice guy. Yeah. He's been here, yep. too. So, uh, with that said, what do you have to say, Steve? Was he on the radio? He's the one person, Won't one of two it. people who said, I will not be on your radio right. show. Um, he said he's, he's shy. He's actually, it was very, uh, he's never going to hear this. So. Next week. He was week. very, okay, insecure. He thought nobody would care what I have to say. Right. This guy has been... 
He was there with, with he helped break uh, Michael Jackson. You sure. Know? So That's he's got thriller. incredible Sony. stories. Uh, CBS Records. Yeah. Dad. Who is Michael's manager? Uh, Frank, Frank DeLeo. DeLeo. He has these Frank DeLeo stories. Of course. That yeah. They probably can't tell on the radio. But anyway, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. So Maddie Dean. Yes. Thank you, Thank you for having me again. Won't be with job. us Thank next week. What? Is she on assignment? Yeah, Maddie will be on assignment next week, and uh, next week's uh, guest is going to be. A, we're, we're making a secret of next week's guest. Really? Yes, but it's going to be a tremendous wow. guest. It won't be. Uh, it won't be Jim Caparo. It won't be Caparo, and it won't be Riccatelli. Not your daughter. It won't be one of the Italians. Two Italians yeah. from North Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And yeah, Marconi over there. Another so those, one. Those are the three but Italians. He will be here. From, yes. Yes. So okay. So Ashley Veltner, thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley. And I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. At the end of every show, do you think we say uh, hello? Hello. Hello? No, that'd be Hello. silly. You know what we say, Joe? And you could do it with me. We say, adios!